about the 4th of July this week, and I read this week about John Adams, our second president. Now, before he was president, John Adams, and this is how the story goes that I read this week, he attended the Second Continental Congress, which began meeting in Philadelphia on July 1st, 1776. The next day, on July 2nd, the delegates voted in favor of independence. On July 3rd, John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, the second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. He's talking about July 2nd. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be, sol ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows and games and sports and guns and bells and bonfires and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. Well, he was off by two days. So even John Adams could not see in totally into the future because then on July 4th, the next day, the day after he wrote this letter to his wife, Abigail, the delegates at the Second Continental Congress adopted, officially adopted and formalized what they had decided two days earlier. And so therefore, we celebrate, celebrate July 4th. So John Adams couldn't see what was going to happen in the future, and neither could we. I, I told the first era, and I'll tell you, if I could see into the future, uh, one thing I might do would be bet on sports. I'm just saying, you know, so uh, I like sports, and if you could bet on it and win money because I could foresee the future, that would be good. Of course, I would give it all to the church, right? I might save a little bit for myself, but I'm not a betting person. I need to say that, but that's just, you know, something I would think about if I could foresee the future. But we're going to learn this morning in Daniel chapter 2 as we continue our study in Daniel, even if being a witness in the midst of exiles, we look at Daniel, that Daniel, with God's blessing, can interpret something that he couldn't otherwise and in a sense, sees into the future. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And even how this ancient and sort of crazy story applies to us today. So this is a very long chapter. It's the entire chapter of Daniel chapter 2. So I'm not going to read all of it. It would take most of the sermon time, which would be easier to do for me. But I decided that I would like to tell you some of what it means. So we're going to read part of Daniel chapter 2. And I'll kind of fill in the gaps. All right. We're going to start at verse 1, Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed such dreams that his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had such a dream that my spirit is troubled by the desire to understand it. And the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will reveal the interpretation. The king answered to the Chaldeans, This is a public decree. If you do not tell me both the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you do tell me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. 
We skip ahead to verse 14. Then Daniel responded with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the king's chief executioner, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Arioch, the royal official, a royal official, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. So Daniel went in and requested that the king give him time, and he would tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his home and informed his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age. For wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my ancestors, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power and have now revealed to me what we asked of you. For you have revealed to us what the king ordered. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts bring honor and glory to you. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so the king had had a dream, and Daniel interprets the dream of the king. Now, dreams are important even more then than they are now. Americans, oftentimes today, Western thinkers, think that dreams may reveal something about the subconscious, or maybe they are just a product of uh, some indigestion of something you ate, maybe if you had too much to eat on the 4th of July. But dreams for ancient peoples, especially in the Middle East, they felt told them about something about the world, maybe an event that was going to happen, or that they were re revealed, a, re a revelation from the gods. And dreams can even be powerful today, I think especially in the Middle East. Uh, today in the Middle East, some Muslims, probably in the same area where Babylon was then, which is modern, around modern-day Iraq today, some Muslims today are even seeing images of Jesus in their dreams, of Jesus appearing to them as visions or dreams. And then they will go to Christians that they know or to missionaries to help them interpret that. And so many Muslims, beginning with visions or dreams, are beginning even today to come to know Christ for this first time. So dreams are still important today. But the king's dream in this time was very important. He was the king. He had all the authority, probably one of the most powerful men on earth at this time. But most likely, and most scholars think that he can't remember it because they tell the story that it was very important at that time uh, for, for dreams to be understood. And so the king would hire astrologers or sorcerers or priests or wise men. They would be actually hired to help interpret dreams. And the usual was that you would tell them the dream and then they would help interpret it. They would actually keep logs or records of these dreams. But in this story, the king probably forgot what he had actually dreamed. And I don't know about you, but 
I do find myself dreaming sometimes. But when I wake up, oftentimes the dreams are fuzzy and maybe I'll remember one or two parts by the time I've brushed my teeth and gotten a cup of coffee, I've forgotten it. So I could be a little bit like King Nebuchadnezzar in that, but this dream that he, he can't quite remember, can't quite place, still troubles him. Now, about the king's dream, the astrologers say that no man on earth can interpret the dream. And I, I think these words are intentional because we're going to see that God can understand the dream and interpret the dream. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, because he had so much power, but also probably because of who he is, in a sense, he goes crazy. He blows his top and he decides out of anger. He says, if you can't interpret my dream, I'm going to tear you, have you torn limb from limb. Your houses will be destroyed. You will all be executed. And as we read in the story, he sends out his chief executioner. That would be a bad job to have, I think, to, to go out and to start to round up people. And it's at this time that Daniel asked to have time to interpret the dream and says that he can do it. Now, it's a time of desperation. And the first couple of times I was reading chapter 2 of Daniel, it didn't hit on me. But everyone, at least the wise men, Daniel and his friends, the astrologers, their lives are all on the line. This, or, this is live or die for them. And so Daniel says that he can interpret the dream, at least he tells that to Arioch, the executioner, before he even knows if he can do it. He really takes a step of boldness. Now, one scholar I read this week said God may have rolled his eyes at the idea that Daniel saying he could interpret the dream without asking God first. But I think more it was a sense of Daniel being faithful and trusting that God would provide, having hope that God would provide um, in a time of great need. So what does Daniel do? He takes a leap of faith. He says he will interpret the, or interpret the dream before he even has it. Then he goes to his three friends who are also very faithful, and he asked them to plead for mercy for him to interpret the dream. During that very night, the scripture says, the dream is revealed to Daniel and its meaning as well. So God shows up. God answers their prayers. Then what does, do, what does Daniel do next? He immediately praises God. He immediately praises God. Now, I love the Psalms, and I've said that before. And Daniel's words that we read kind of in the middle of chapter 2 sound like a psalm as he lifts up his praises and thanks to God, giving all the credit to God for giving him this dream and being able to interpret it. So what did the dream say? We haven't read that yet, and it's kind of a long passage there in the middle of chapter 2. And so what I like to do is kind of summarize that for you. So in the dream, there was an enormous, dazzling statue. And this is what the statue looked like when you, you read the different parts and you understand it. In the dream, this is what Daniel tells back to King Nebuchadnezzar, there was a huge dazzling statue and the head of the statue was gold. The chest and the arms were silver. The belly and the thighs were bronze, so they're of great value, things made of great value. And then the lower legs and the feet are iron and clay. And Daniel goes on to talk with the king and he says, these things represent future kingdoms. They represent the current kingdom and future kingdoms uh, that are eventually to decline and replace one another. So we'll see what scholars think about what these kingdoms are, is that the head made of gold represents Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel says that to Nebuchadnezzar. That the chest and the arms made of silver, scholars believe, would be the next empire, which was not very far after Babylon, 
which was the Medes and Persia, the Medo-Persian Empire. And then the next empire, the one that was represented by bronze, would be the Greek Empire, still the time before Christ. And then the scholars believe the legs and the feet of iron and clay would be the Roman Empire at the time of Christ and then beyond into the future there. And so this is what uh, scholars believe the interpretation, but certainly what Daniel told the king is that all these would be kingdoms that would come in order. One would replace the other until eventually, he says at the end, that the one that has iron and clay would be defeated. And a great kingdom given by God would overtake them. And this kingdom would come out of stone, which came out of a great mountain that could not be defeated, this stone that which could not be broken. And the stone would be able to break up the iron and the clay. And so today when we hear someone has feet of clay, it's because it comes from here that their, their feet could be broken up and the kingdom would be destroyed. So what does this dream mean? That all empires, all kingdoms, all human kingdoms will decline and eventually fail. But the kingdom of God goes on and on. It's, it's a different kind of kingdom. It's represented first by an all-powerful king, the king of kings, the creator that we can praise and thank like Daniel did. So after this interpretation is given to Nebuchadnezzar, we skip down about, about the, the part about the dream to the end. And Daniel says at the end of the interpretation this, and then we read what King Nebuchadnezzar's response is. These are Daniel's words. The great God, meaning he's speaking of his God, the one true God, has informed the king what shall be hereafter. The dream is certain and its interpretation is trustworthy. These are Daniel's words. He's speaking uh, with confidence here. Then the king speaks. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, worshipped Daniel, and commanded that a grain offering and incense be offered to him. The king said to Daniel, truly, your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's three friends, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So in an incredible scene in this ancient, amazing story happens here at the end of chapter 2, that Nebuchadnezzar, it said, actually bows down, down to Daniel almost as if in worship, and the roles have been temporarily reversed. God is honored, and Daniel is honored for his faithfulness by God, and is honored for his interpretation by Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Now, Nebuchadnezzar gives credit to Daniel. He actually says, give credit to your God, and to worship your God. He doesn't fully claim him yet, and we'll see as we go into next Sunday and the Sunday after that Nebuchadnezzar reverts back to wanting to be worshiped. But Daniel consistently gives credit to God, consistently, before and after and even during the story, and on and on in future weeks, consistently gives credit to God. Daniel was made ruler over the province of Babylon, and with the king's permission, he appointed his three best friends as administrators. So what do we do with this ancient, amazing story? I think we can just 
asks three questions. What does this mean about God? What about God? What about Daniel? And what about us? What about God? What about Daniel? What about us? What about God? What does this say about God? God's ways are bigger than our ways. God's ways are bigger than our ways. The difference between the kingdoms of this statue that naturally uh, decline and inevitably pass away and the permanent kingdom is that one is human. Those Those former kingdoms are human and God's kingdom is divine. There will be a kingdom of God bigger and more powerful than any kingdom on earth. And we can have trust in God and in his kingdom. His kingdom is not of gold and silver and bronze. It's not of the things of this world, the things of value, because God values other things. God values other people in different ways than the ways of the world. God's empire, God's kingdom is divine, but God's kingdom is very different. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom of paradox. It doesn't look like the ways of the world or the empires of the world. Jesus, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as we learn today as we read the New Testament, looking back for us, but it would be certainly looking a long way forward for Daniel, we realize it's an upside-down kingdom where putting others first, caring for the poor, the oppressed, the homeless, takes first priority over the rich and the powerful. Things like visiting prisoners, giving our possessions away, giving our money away to the church so it can give to things like people in Syria or to our youth here in Indianapolis through various ministries. Helping orphans, going on mission trips to different places, take priority even over ourselves. God reveals how fragile human power is as well. But God is all-powerful and can give us uh, the ability to, uh, to provide what we need in the time where we need it. That's what God does for us. And I want to say that this week that you've helped to do that. You have helped to provide for needs. If I could take just a moment, I wanted to share that this was past week, which ended this morning, was a week where Interfaith Hospitality Network, and there were three families. These have to be families with children who are dealing with homelessness, and they move, it's got to be difficult, they move from church to church and, and have help through this network to find jobs, but they have to have a place to stay. So for, for the past seven days, people have been living here, and when I came in this morning, I got here at 7 a.m., there were a bunch of cars already in the parking lot because our volunteers that work with this ministry were working. They had already gotten breakfast for the families, And they were working to load up the beds and all the supplies and things and then clean our building before you ever arrived. And so I want to give thanks to our volunteers that that this week, these past seven days, even up to a couple of hours ago, were helping to bring about the kingdom. Where the people who are some of the most desperate in need of help were helped this week and were shown the love and grace of Jesus Christ. For some it was driving a van, for some it was... Uh, sleeping overnight and getting up early to provide breakfast or some to come in and bring and cook a dinner. But in many ways, we were showing and bringing about the kingdom of God. And so we think about sometimes these ancient stories, how they might not be relevant to us or for how Daniel interpreting uh, uh, this dream of the king, how is that relevant? I could never do that. But we can help bring about the kingdom of God by serving at places like Interfaith Hospitality Network with families in need that were here and in many other ways as well.
So that's what about God? What about Daniel? What do we learn from Daniel? Well, Daniel is faithful and continues to honor God daily. He is faithful day by day in ordinary things. That's what Randall Gilmore, if you happen to be here last Sunday, talked about. Daniel is faithful in ordinary things. That can lead to honor and the opportunity to be faithful in big things. I think this is a great principle. When we are faithful in small things, God gives us bigger things to be faithful in as well. At 9 a.m., Liz Todd prayed for us in our congregational prayer. And she said during our prayer, I was listening carefully. She said we need to be in Scripture every day. We need to be praying every day so that we're ready when God calls upon us to answer the call. If we're not ready, if we're not walking with God, then oftentimes we are not ready to walk with him in times of need. And so Daniel is faithful in prayer, even in his diet, as we read in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel's friends were faithful, and Daniel called on them to pray. And so they had an impressive level of faith, being oppressed in a foreign land, and when their very lives were on the line. Daniel gives credit to God, not to himself. He was bold and humble at the same time. And I I think this is very important that Daniel combined humility and boldness in a special way. And Randall Gilmore, who preached last week on Daniel chapter 1, said, uh, Daniel had a holy boldness about him. And I think that's a good way to say it. He combined confidence and humility together. Writer Jim Dennison that I like to read, he writes blogs as, as well as other things, and he's a former pastor. He says we need to have a proper view of humility and ourselves, and I thought this speaks well to today's message. He was talking about understanding humility in his own life, so he said this. I knew instinctively that I was not to promote myself, that my purpose is to glorify God rather than self. So when someone paid me a compliment, I was prone to respond by devaluing myself or my achievement in some way. I've often seen this kind of response from fellow Christians over the years. I'm also prone to seek personal humility by overvaluing others, thinking only the best of them and overlooking obvious evidence to the contrary. This approach has caused me to trust some people more than was healthy for them or for me. I am discovering the biblical answer to my dilemma is simple. We are to find our security in Christ and then offer that security to the world. We are to find our security in Christ, then offer that security to the world. Daniel did that in a way. I think he had confidence and humility. He had confidence in God, confidence enough that he would risk his life and say, I can interpret the dream And then he immediately goes to his friends and said, pray for me. And he doesn't even say pray for me. He says, plead for mercy, it says in our translation in English. Plead for mercy from God to help him tell tell me the dream so I can interpret it. And he prays himself. And then when God gives it to him, he gives all credit to God, appropriate credit to God. Because it didn't come from him. The dream didn't come from him. It came from God and the interpretation. And then he continues to do that as he meets with the king. So he has a confidence, a boldness that he will step out in faith, but his confidence is placed in his security in who God is and not in his own gifts. And then he has a humility to give credit to where credit is due. And even when he's given a place of honor in in, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's court, he doesn't take that for himself. He thinks again of his friends and continues to give credit to God. So Daniel combines a great sense of confidence and humility. 
So what about us? What can we learn from this ancient story? First, don't be impressed with human power. It is fleeting, and so don't fear it. The dream is interpreted that kingdoms and empires decline and fail, and so do all of us at some point in our lives. All humans around us will fail at some point. Second, Daniel's faithful in prayer with friends. We spoke of last week how he's faithful even in his diet, the ordinary things of life. So be faithful in the big and small things day by day in all ways. Be faithful to God. And when we mess up, when we fail, to get back up and turn to God again and to be faithful to him. Pray always. Pray with urgency. Ask your friends to pray. And hope in a God who answers prayer. We can take hope in hopeless circumstances as Daniel did. So Daniel was under foreign rule. He was in a, in a different land that was incredibly different than his, that, that worshipped different gods. Now, he had gotten the king's attention because he had been faithful and been good. And as Jerry mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he was a, a young man full of life. He had been given a position in the king's court. But he's still under incredibly difficult circumstances. And in this story, his life is actually on the line. He's in desperate times. So I think for us, we can learn that in times of difficulty, in times of desperation, whether we're facing disease or separation from family or some emotional struggle or job loss or financial struggle, some problem in life that seems insurmountable, turn again to God. Be consistent in our turning to God because God provides hope in hopeless circumstances as he did for Daniel and he answered Daniel and his friends prayer. We then can have ultimate hope that God wants to work here and now, and in the end, God wins. The kingdom of God will prevail. It has prevailed through Jesus' coming. It will prevail again at the end of time. And in the meantime, the kingdom of God goes through and prevails in us as we live it out today with hope and God. So live like Daniel, putting trust in God having confidence in God, and being humble in God that God will provide. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, that you love us, that you provide hope. We offer you praise.